Sometimes the most limited thoughts are doorways into new ideas. This sentiment launched the beginning of Linda McCallum's quest to discover the true alchemy of life, a life that is fully capable of transcending limited beliefs into unlimited possibility. Linda began her journey within a confined perimeter of reality. Parents who refused to veer away from their own beliefs and a young girl who refused to accept their beliefs as her own. It was this framework that drove Linda to where she stands today, wise, introspective, loving, and completely willing to share her journey and her story with the world. Linda, I've got to say that our connecting was nothing short of being divinely inspired and synchronistic and time appropriate. You know, I first learned about you during a talk in which you moderated with Simon Parks. And I think many in our audience are uh, probably familiar with Simon's work and his incredible insights into the human global agenda and the non-human force that has been at work in the background for many years, whether for better or worse. Linda, it was your own elegant approach uh, to getting Simon to discuss matters that I'd not heard him discuss before, and your own perspective on life, past, present, and future, that drew me to contact you. And so we connected. We talked for, I think, well over an hour. And after that, I knew I had to have you on the show. And so here you are. And I'm so delighted. Welcome. (laughs) Thank you. What a beautiful introduction. It is interesting when you meet somebody and you're heart just instantly says, I know you. Absolutely. (laughs) Hello again. Right, exactly. (laughs) And we talked about that for quite some time. And I really think that's the case. This is one of the beautiful things about technology. Uh, the, the, The double edged sword is what I like to call it. There's the good and not so good. But we've been able to uh, look at what technology has allowed for true. to happen across the miles. Collapsing well, distance. That's right. That's right. Timelessness and spacelessness. We're going to get into all that, by the way. But, you know, before we go down a road that I am hoping will lead us on a journey to discover who we are as alchemists, and that's a notion that both you and I, I think, wholeheartedly agree on, I'd love for you to give our audience, uh, Linda, a bit of background on what led you down this path of awakening and discovering the true nature of the human species. What brought you to this point? Well, I think I'll begin on a really personal level and take it to uh, a broader perspective, although in the end, everything is personal because all things exist within us. But I was born an Orthodox Jew, and my family was very religious, my father in particular. And I questioned a lot. And the questions were usually received with, you just don't understand, you just don't know. And as I grew older, um, when I was 15, we moved from Philadelphia to California, and I fell in love with a Greek Orthodox baseball player. Mm. He was the pitching champion of the high school I went to. And my father told me that if I were to marry outside my faith, he would disown me, cover the mirrors, my name would never be mentioned, mm. and I would be dead to the family. So that was really tragic for me. I cried for a couple of days and wouldn't come out of my room. And my father came in. At the end of a couple of days, and he said, okay, I won't disown you, but there'll never be a day that I don't suffer if you do that. So that was a very pivotal point for me, because I had been raised with God always looking at you and 
um, the feeling that if I did anything wrong, it was going to be written in the book and I would uh, have to pay for that at some point. But what it actually did is that it freed me. I didn't realize it until later. Um, but later as I grew questioning more and I looked into Catholicism and Buddhism and Baha'i and uh, I just was on a quest to find a different kind of God. Mm-hmm. And as I became more aware and liking that I questioned, I began having a perception that sometimes the most limited thoughts were doorways into new ideas. And sometimes the greatest adversity opened a gate to a, a, a rebellion Um, a freedom, a refusal to go in a particular direction. So as I kept studying and looking and uh, went through many different cycles of, wow, is this it? No, is that it? I started recognizing a pattern that I had within me a mind that could keep pulling on a string and find a deeper order. And I became interested in alchemy. The alchemists, not so much that became immortal life or had the philosopher's gold, that was interesting. What was really interesting was the conversion of the base metal into the enlightened energy. Mm-hmm. And so that became a quest for my work. Could I, could I find methods and ways of exploring that led me deeper into an expanded perspective. I became an astrologer after trying to disprove it for four years, Mm -hmm. Um, and I found I had an insight into personality, and I I could naturally see many things. However, I found that people were so addicted to the influences They didn't trust that they could do it themselves, that they could change a timeline, that they could take an influence like a weather pattern, and you're going on a vacation and there's going to be a storm warning. Do you not go? Do you instead take a good umbrella and some rain boots and an attitude of this is going to be an adventure? I mean, what do you do with that? And so I eventually gave up astrology as a career at the top of my game and began once again looking for ways that I could connect to spirit to show me a deeper order of possibility in this amazing consciousness that we have. We are consciousness, an energy that has no borders, having an experience in a finite being. Mm -hmm. Wow. You know, I have to make a, a, a comment as I'm listening to this incredible chronology of yours, Linda, and I, I can't help but reflect on how individuals will process experiences differently. Yours was obviously coming from a place of using a, a very, I, I suppose, emotionally tumultuous scenario with your, your father and the strict upbringing as impetus to explore mm-hmm. where others might remain sort of in a prison of the belief system. Yours was that of adventure. And I, I think of that and it just, just, I could really go off on a tangent there because I really, I, I, I'm hearing hallmarks of um, 
you came here with that that path in mind it seems maybe unconscious to you but maybe you can elaborate on that am i am i touching no you're right on i think that's i think that's true but i didn't know it was my path initially right i i had to explore you know i i had a personnel agency and was working in new york and Mm -hmm. and when i decided to disprove astrology because my roommate kept saying oh typical scorpio typical gemini typical. I, I said that makes me crazy you got to stop and she said okay read these books have your chart done and then tell me if you think there's some value to it so i got into it to explore it but the deeper order of what you're saying is there were many times when the experiences i experienced took me down to feel a, like a martyr to feel like a victim, mm-hmm. to to have suppressed rage uh, inside me that I wouldn't let out because that was bad. I had to be good. And, uh, there were so many places that I had to explore, and I don't see any of them as bad. I just see them as limited. I, I saw it written that I... It's in a book called The Alien Interview, which is quite interesting. Hmm. But in this book was a description by the alien of, wow, we are so unlimited in our consciousness. Mm -hmm. Amazing. With imagination that is so broad and vast, we can create anything in our minds, like creating a gilded cage and putting a door on it, then putting a lock in it and realizing we are in it, but we forgot we made the cage, forgot we made the door, Mm -hmm. forgot we made the lock. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that was so clear to me that the times of my self-condemnation or feelings of uh, unworthiness were layered beliefs over and over and over again that trapped me until I realized I was the one that interpreted what went on in this way. And the more we see things in a particular way, the more we find that same thing mirrored back to us. Mm-hmm. As you're as you're talking about this, Linda, I'm thinking of the eminent, uh, brilliant physicist David Bohm, who yes. said, "We are beings without borders." Yes, uh, I, I have always admired <clears throat> his approach, uh, his erudite but but still very fluid, literally fluid approach. He talks about we are like whirlpools in a stream. You yeah. know, you can't, uh, you don't know where the stream ends and the and the whirlpools begin. We have identity; we just don't have distinct borders. And again, I believe you knew that inherently. Well, I believe that I did, and I also believe that I lost my way, and I came here to find my way again, so that I could be the living truth of what I learned. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I, I don't at this stage of my life. Uh, one to be a teacher or a guru or a philosopher. I want to share what I've learned and I don't know. Maybe it will be teaching at times. Maybe it will be philosophy at times. But the idea is to offer someone who is what they know. And mm-hmm. that is part of what I searched for in all the philosophies, searching in teachers. And when I met Ramtha, mm-hmm. um, it was 19... 19- 86 and the top of my head blew off i mean i can only describe it that way it it was just like uh, it was so incredible in its effect in me and i had uh, 
as I say, been very successful as an astrologer and had uh, investigated different philosophies and studied different books with different teachers. But nothing had the impact because that was a memory in my soul. And I was led there to learn a series of understandings that had basic tenets, which is, number one, behold God, you are God. Mm -hmm. And when Jesus said, ye are gods, behold God, the Father that is within me is within you. The concept that this lives within us, that we do not need to qualify, uh, prove our value to have God accept us, this was very different in its emotion Mm -hmm. for me and the other is that consciousness and energy creates the nature of reality which is a profound idea because there's no borders Mm -hmm. that's right i mean we are the void we we are the quantum field and the observer does collapse the field and we do have the ability to manifest what we are focused on from the quantum field um so obviously there is something dynamically powerful here mm-hmm. and the next quality is to go and make known the unknown so when you think that your god lives within you and consciousness and energy creates the nature of reality, which means your God's not a personality. That's right. It's not a man who is saying, if you don't do this, then you're a sinner and don't deserve me. And the third is we came here to make known the unknown. So when we fall down and we make a mistake and we fall on our face and I have cookie crumbs all over my hand because my hand has been in the wrong cookie jar. <laughs> if if that. that's the case and I figure it out and now I have wisdom, was that a sin mm-hmm. or was that enlightenment? Yeah, love it. You know, I just want to clarify for our audience, you mentioned Ramtha for, for those, and I have a feeling a lot in our audience are familiar with the Ramtha School of Enlightenment. Uh, and the name synonymous with that Jay Z Knight, who's channeled uh, Ramtha, uh, I believe, since the late seventies. Yes. So um, Almost you know, forty years. That's right. I can't believe it. And you know, as <clears throat> I look at, I'm not that familiar with the specific teachings of Ramtha, although I am familiar with a major tenet uh, in in the teachings, uh, and that is uh, consciousness creating reality, which reminds me of you know, you talk about that moment where the, the top of your head blew off for me. Linda, it was Seth, the Seth material, and Jane Roberts. That was really a turning point for me. Mm -hmm. Um, So that uh, it's interesting how what we really see coming forth are perennial messages, timelessness in in terms of these messages that I think have been uh, inked in the annals of of history, but existed far beyond uh, books. (laughs) You know, this is perennial wisdom we're talking about. I think that perennial wisdom is frequency specific. Uh, That means that when you read the Seth materials, it was frequency specific to the deeper order of your soul and how Mm -hmm. your soul perceived reality. And maybe perhaps you forgot it in your genetic. And and so you were, we come into life and we are born into a particular genetic and we have the model of our early years shaping how we will perceive Um, our reality and what we expect and then we have a soul path 
and sometimes the soul path doesn't even show itself till later and that soul path can really wreak havoc with our genetics and we can find ourselves living on the outside or in conflict with a default programming and yet a sense of a deeper order i mean it takes a certain maturity to really begin to feel or connect to the soul path unless you have a lot of education in that when you're a child mm-hmm. yeah I'm, I'm thinking about that and i think there's <clears throat> so many different uh scenarios by which individuals will come will touch uh, this deeper order of, of reality. I, I'm very fortunate uh, in that I grew up with a family that asked big questions all the time, and I was sort of nurtured in that regard. Um, I think you and I may have touched on that when we last spoke, but not right. that's not the case for everyone. That wasn't the case with you, and, and no. yet you found yourself magnetized toward that which I feel uh, uh, was in your, you know, on your, right. you know, path for, for multi-lifetimes, perhaps, so... Who's to say what the what the beginning point is? There is no beginning, really. <laughs> well, I think I think that what you just said, the last thing you said, I think is important to touch on, and that is beginning, past, now, mm. future, time, mm-hmm. and what is real, and the idea that we could at this time in our life, because there is a great shift in consciousness going on. Remember. remember, I like that word, yeah. remember, That's right. bringing back the members of who we really are, bringing back the awakening of what we came here to be originally, and in the game of separation, where we said we want to know what it is to discover life and experience life as a separate entity, we got caught. We got caught in the game, and then the work was to try to find our spirit again. How do we find that sense of when we know who we are? Well, we're in a time right now where much of the incredible conflict and decadence and magnificence, all happening, all pulling, uh, all asking people, what is true on the deepest order of your life, what do you remember as true? And sometimes people have it with a an experience in nature. Uh, sometimes they have it when they give birth. Sometimes they have it through suffering and loss, and all of a sudden they realize the extraordinary. I remember my father didn't believe in heaven, but he, he believed, of course, in God, but he didn't have a sense of heaven. And I would talk to him about... Um, that there is this great, wondrous world that your soul is a part of, and you're going to experience it. And he'd say, I don't believe that. But Mm -hmm. when he was in the hospital dying of cancer, I was visiting him, and my brother's name is Stephen. And I said to him, Daddy, I'm leaving now, and uh, Stephen's going to come in just a couple of hours. He said, well... If I'm not here, just tell him I'm on the other side. I really like it over there. Oh, wow. Oh, boy. Mm. It was. It was an oh, boy. I mean, my mouth dropped open. And I realized that however we get there, what difference does it make? Because the truth is there is no death other than of the body. The spirit continues. Spirit has talked to me. I have seen spirit. I... I have had experiences that show me 
that, yes, this 3D experience in the body does change in death, but the spirit continues. The love never dies, and there is no thought that dies. Mm-hmm. All thoughts continue. The thing is, do you wear them? What do you wear in your thoughts? What does your body hold as a greater truth than your deepest desires? How beautifully said. You have such a way with words and thought. Thank you. <laughs> and expressing them so well. We could now do... you're my best friend. <laughs> <laughs> my new BFF. Well, you, you are my new BFF. Don't tell my husband that, but you are. <laughs> you know, listen, I, 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 there's so many directions I want to go in, but I, I want to just touch on this because it, I think there is a tangential relationship with what we're talking about in terms of dimensional reality. And I want to get deeper into timelines and dimensional reality. But I want to touch on a few points, uh, Linda, that came up during your talk with Simon Parks, because uh-huh. these sorts of things uh, came up. For our audience, if you haven't had a chance to watch this absolutely excellent discussion, I'd encourage you to do so. And what I'm going to do is put a link below this interview so you can get to this um, this uh, particular talk. Tell me the name of it again. The it's actual, Heart to Heart. Heart to Heart. Heart to yes, Heart, which is September perfect. September 20th. Yep. So relatively recent. Um, Simon had some explosive things to say. He's a, he's a, he's a, a very uh, dynamic man and very interesting yes. and, and very b- courageous. But, you know, one of the scenarios that came up is Simon was discussing the reality of what we've, uh, what we've been faced with on this planet is what has been yes. referred to the archonic influence yes. and how prevalent that is. I don't want to spend too much time on it, but in the context for which we're talking and, and uh, how this, quote, archonic influence may be messing with us. What is your understanding about the Archon Force? What is this from your perspective? Well, from what I understand, the Archons are a mind that do not have bodies, and they influence uh, the reptilians. Uh, They influence us with the ability to hold frequencies and to send frequencies of fear, of uh, vulnerability, fragility, powerlessness there is a there's so many things that have happened once you start waking up and i was slow to wake up to this mm-hmm. uh because i don't like conspiracy theorists yeah, yeah i don't like that the feeling that you have to be afraid and you have to be on alert every moment i found i couldn't function that way and on the other hand there were things going on that I knew that I had to pay attention to. And one of the things I adored about Simon was that he had a way of telling you what they were doing, which was not fear-based, but kind of woke you up to the message. Mm -hmm. For example, I I mean, just to give you an example, there's nothing that makes me crazier, (laughs) I'm not sure I should say that, than listening to pharmaceutical ads on the tele- oh, boy. television. Oh, <laughs> boy. Here we and go again. And the reason is, I, I had oh. my mother, father, and younger sister died of cancer, and I took them through that, and all the chemo, and all. And I used to read 10 pages of side effects mm-hmm. from the drugs that they took, and death was common mm-hmm. as a side effect. Yeah. So when I hear that, while I'm looking at someone so happy and so sexually active and so pretty and so wonderfully healthy and I'm listening to the side effects and people accept it. 
They, do. they accept it. I even spoke to a dear friend who's a doctor, and I said, how can you even listen? They say, well, it's really a small amount of people. I went, what, what difference does yeah, it make right, right. if it's going to kill you? So I'm using this example of how we have been programmed to believe that feeling better, a little better than what your disease is, than, than what your issue is, may be worth... The drug. Now, there are some drugs that are life-saving, truly. There are some fabulous medical um, discoveries, which we are blessed to know about. But I say that the habit to take a pill right away, to, uh, I don't care, just let, I just don't want this problem anymore, without even realizing how you're going to have to take that drug for the rest of your life, mm-hmm. or how those side effects grow stronger every year. Yeah. And some of them, you know, anyway, that was just an example. And an ability to continually show us that we are vulnerable and that we have to follow rather than consider what would be best for ourselves. And part of the reason we are afraid to trust ourselves is we have so many stories that we have created uh, through our experiences, just like you were saying in the beginning, my story broke the gates open for me to quest for freedom. Mm-hmm. That same story could have someone say, there's nothing I could do. You know, I've lost everything, so I'll live a life that I don't want to live. Mm-hmm. Which is many uh, people's story, yeah. Yeah. So what we have is let's wake up and actually listen to what we automatically follow. Mm-hmm. Did you happen to see the movie Tomorrowland? You are like the third person that's mentioned that in the last couple of weeks. I haven't, and I'm going to please, at this point. Please do, because yes. it's a video and you can rent it out. It came out in video now. Mm-hmm. I recommend it to your audience. It is an amazing insight. And if you look at it from the perspective of an insight into control Mm -hmm. mechanisms. Uh, Whether those controls are through chemtrails or they're from frequency bombarding of Mm -hmm. particular thoughts, there are certain, there's, for example, I use a funny story. When I go to LA to work, I see clients in Los Angeles. When I go to LA to work, I tell my my clients, I'm there three days and I think I'm fat and need to shop. And it is a program. I yeah, mean, of course, it's gotta, a program. Yeah, yeah. You got to look a certain way. You got to weigh a certain amount. You got to have the right clothes. And I lived there for nineteen years, mm-hmm. and I didn't know I was the program till I moved away. Yep, I lived there too. That's another story. I because I was a model and a, a, a wannabe actress, which I realized I didn't really want to be. Uh, that's another story. I think it was in my leaving so quickly that also was part of waking me up that I didn't want it that bad. But yeah, it is a program indeed. And, and So we yeah. have to wake up to the programs. We have yeah. to make choice. It's okay if you want to do it. I lived in LA. I, I, I followed, you know, the rules of how to look and how to live. And I loved it. I love that I did that. I mm-hmm. know what it is. Mm-hmm. I, I experienced it. And that was great. I'm not negating it i'm only saying it never occurred to me that i could truly know my value without that that's right oh sure well as they say nothing is in vain certainly doesn't have to be not one thing and so each and every moment and whatever that encompasses if we so choose 
can be uh, a teaching moment or a, a revelational moment. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's why fear is constantly programmed in us. Yeah. Uh, the idea that we're not safe, the idea that every place you go is dangerous, the idea that seeing a black man on the street, he could be somebody who who could hurt, hurt you. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, the profiling, the, mm-hmm. the program of fear that I can't create my day. What about pausing every single day to create your day and to carve out a timeline every day for you? You have the power to do that. You have the power to decide what your day is and Mm. not be just someone who has to defend yourself against powerful entities who have five-year plans and they've already decided how you're going to suffer and how your food is going to get unsafe and how GMOs are going to be able to remain because the industry is so big and then the next thing is this food isn't working and this food isn't working and you have to be careful. I want everyone to hear Linda loud and clear. She has a gift to be able to articulate. This is a powerful message. The latter was the fear program, but the former, what she said earlier, take a pause to realize that you can create your day and then take that second pause to start the process of creating it. I just heard, I just heard on the other, the other night, uh, Oprah Winfrey had a series on called belief Mm -hmm. and she went all around the world and like 10 minutes of different people, how they believed, Mm -hmm. whether it was, um, a Hasidic Jew or a Catholic walk, the James Walk 500 uh, miles to find God. It was, I, I loved it. The whirling dervish, um, a woman who was never supposed to walk again, found her spirit through dance. It, it was just very, very moving how we find ways to be able to come to our spirit, to come to a deeper order. And there is no right way. That's right. There is no, I have, um, I have a guard against organized religion that has become politicized. Because I know that the political nature will begin to use it and abuse it. On the other hand, I have no judgment against those that find relief and faith and a way to connect to their heart and to their spirit, however that's done. Mm -hmm. But we have to wake up when we see that whatever we believe finds the other evil, finds the other without God. That must be addressed because with that thought, we can hurt each other and never realize that what we've done is hurt ourselves because we're interconnected. And what we do to another, we are doing to ourselves. Mm-hmm. And what we do to ourselves, we are doing to another. Probably, Alex, the greatest awakening, one of the greatest awakenings I've had was I would say to myself, well, this whole idea about the people in your life or you, I'd say, well, I would never do this. I would never behave this way. And I would say, okay, you got to find it. And what I would find is that's the way I treated myself. Mm-hmm. So it was really a natural 
that I would draw into my environment someone who didn't value me and keep them there to try to change their mind. That was the game I was playing with myself. Mm-hmm. When I stopped doing that, I found friends changed. So in that regard, Linda, would you say that, that those who are in our lives that may represent the, the part, an aspect that we don't like are really just mirrors <clears throat> for us to look at an aspect of us that may be buried deep or maybe not so deep? Is, is that what you're yes, saying? Yes, but, but there's, there's so many wonderful opportunities here. Let's take abuse. Let's take physical abuse because there are many people who suffered sexual abuse, physical abuse, um, in their lives so the person who is abused says well I wouldn't abuse another why is this happening to me and of course there are many reasons I would never be so foolish as to just go oh well it's because because it can be many reasons but a reason that is often overlooked is the person who is abused is seeking to be so worthy and so good that they will change the abuser's mind to not hurt them anymore, but to value them. And so they believe that their willingness to go through this, to forgive, to allow, to go deeper into the hope that they can be valued, they see as love. Mm -hmm. Sure. And as long as they're seeing it as love, they can't free themselves because they just go from one situation to another. So the question becomes, is it true that the only way I can really know love is the way I experienced it as a child? Mm-hmm. Is the only way I can know love is the way my father treated my mother or my mother treated me? Is that the only way? Is it instead that I never really learned that loving myself and valuing myself and honoring myself was the beginning of a deeper order of love because God lives within me. Spirit lives within me. Mm -hmm. Spirit is the glue that allowed me to be able to express and change in life, to make known what I haven't known. Mm -hmm. Those are the biggest questions that deserve meditating on. Yeah. And I, again, um, implore the audience to to take the time to listen to Linda's eloquent words and allow them to resonate for you because I think if you take the time they will they will well I I I wanted to say one more thing here please you can say more than one more thing Uh, we still have some time (laughs) this 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 does not take away from the horrific pain that a person has gone through This is not to say in any way, oh, all you have to do is uh, learn how to love yourself. Mm -hmm. That's a practice. Mm -hmm. That's a deep understanding that the spirit that gave you life is whole and beautiful and not harmed. What's been harmed is this human body. What's been harmed is this series of belief systems that need to be laid aside that need to be replaced with something of a deeper order, something that could allow you to have a new moment. I find that even people who have suffered will 
go out like I'm looking out my window in my office and it's autumn and I live in Washington and the colors Mm -hmm. of the leaves are so exquisite and everything is so beautiful and there are deer that play on my front lawn eating all my flowers. We're Mm -hmm. not going to talk about (laughs) that. Um, But the idea is, is that in a moment I can forget my pain and I can see the beauty that's all around me and be awed that I am living in this beauty. Mm-hmm. So the idea that I could experience that is maybe a crack in the door that says I'm not damaged. I can still love my child. I can still love my dog. I can still hold my my kitten and smile and giggle and laugh. Mm-hmm. There are places where we still have this experience it's only that we think it's not the bigger part of us that's right all i'm suggesting is perhaps if we made that the bigger part of us and this painful story that we're carrying and repeating the smaller part of us we would be able to make an adjustment yeah again beautifully said well you know as you you talked uh, a bit about the pain and not ignoring the pain or acknowledging the pain made me think of what, what we want to get to, and that's alchemy. And I was yeah. having a, a wonderful discussion. My last interview was with a woman named Sharon Rose. And we talked about uh, the, the power of emotion in terms of energy and how that energy, even in the pain, in the anger, in the jealousy, whatever it is that gets the adrenaline going, and much of it can be negative, how might we alchemize, because it's energy, at a certain frequency? What we want to do is sort of shift that frequency, but it's still powerful stuff. How- well, that's a really great question. Great question. Okay, so the first thing we want to know, I think, look at, is that rage and anger, that kind of force, is power. Mm-hmm. Grief is no, no power. Grief is an incredible vulnerability. The fear that we have no power, that we're impotent, that, that we're just there. That's really, really hard. And it often connects to shame and guilt. Very hard. These are the hard base places inside of us. When we start having rage and anger and sometimes hatred, we feel force. We feel a sense of power. The question is, is it working for us? Right. Or is there a possible way that we could forgive what has created such a storm? Uh, I have something framed on my desk that I really love. It says, fate whispers to the warrior. Mm-hmm. You cannot withstand the storm. And the warrior whispers back, I am the storm. I think you read that to me when we spoke before and you promised to send it to me. Oh, I will. I'm Please sorry. Send it. No, I will, send it to me because I, I want to have it on our, our show page. So everyone, say I that will. again. Repeat that one more time for us. Fate whispers to the warrior, you cannot withstand the storm. And the warrior whispers back, I am the storm. I am the storm. So when you realize that that feeling of hate and anger and rage and blame, it's a power And then you say to yourself, how's that working for me? Mm -hmm. Well, on the one hand, I feel more powerful than the sobbing, fearful mess I was before I blamed and gave up the feeling of victim so that I could feel this power. But what I'm finding is is that it keeps replicating. Mm -hmm. And now I hate more. 
and now I'm angry at more situations. Um, now I find that what was bothering me a little is bothering me everywhere. Mm-hmm. So the question becomes, is there another way to be able to express power? And sometimes when you reflect or fall back into the creator part of you, the creator part of you will say, what's another view? How can I see this differently? What else could I do here? There's a saying I like, which is forgiveness is a decision, but trust is a construction. And one of the things that most people have done is they've lost trust and mm-hmm. belief in themselves. And it needs to be rebuilt. It's a practice. It's like a scaffolding that has to be built. You can't just all of a sudden trust someone who's betrayed you. And it takes another step when you realize that you've betrayed you. You've made promises to yourself. You said you were going to do this or that. And then you changed your mind and walked away and left you hanging. Left you hanging. That's right. And so all of these layers of beliefs of your unworthiness and undeserving and the feeling of victimization swings you into tyrant, swings you into the one who's going to have the control. And now you're trying to control everything so that you can be the one who decides. I've never met a tyrant, a perpetrator who didn't feel like a victim. Never. Mm -hmm. It's always... makes sense. Mm Mm-hmm. And usually what happens for women is they try to be rescuers. Yeah, I wanted to touch on that. Let's talk it, about the willful, what did, what did you call it? Um, willful blindness. Willful blindness. Let's, let's transition into that for a little bit because that's okay. prevalent. Willful blindness is something that I have done and I have seen and I know is a very good insight to understanding relationships. Uh, when you love somebody... And you see a weakness in them. You see a darkness in them. You see uh, a cruelty in them. Many times what you'll do if you feel that you don't want to lose them or leave them is you will just make an explanation for it or you just really won't pay attention to it. Or you'll look at the other side and say, yes, yes, but that's only when he's drinking. Mm. Or uh, normally my child is very kind. Or... Um, yes, my father did this, but he was really a wonderful man and he really loved me. And so the willful blindness cuts off the awareness of an area that should be addressed. It shouldn't be the only thing. It's just we need to see what is. We need to see what actually is happening. And to understand what's actually happening, we can then make choices. Just because you see someone's weakness doesn't mean you have to leave them. But it does mean that you're not vulnerable to that weakness. Mm -hmm. You're not pretending it's not there and making yourself the problem. When we're children, the problem is, oh, it's so cute. A little baby deer just ran across my front lawn just as we were talking about this. (laughs) When when we're children, uh, we think the whole world is because of us. Uh So Mm -hmm. all of the things that are happening in those early years, we assume is because of us. So if there is abuse, if there is a sense of dismissal, then, and for whatever reason, the, the sense that, well, this is who we are and this is all we are worth. And, and so whatever has been undone in the soul or in the psyche has a chop, chance to come through. And the decision is, am I going to allow myself to really see? 
what's going on or will I hide it? And I'll tell you, I became very good at being able to see for other people, but in my last marriage, I was married for 19 years, my husband was having an affair the last couple of years of the marriage, and I would get a feeling like things weren't right, and I would say something, and he would say, God, I can't believe it. The more the more uh, you get into your spiritual work, the more you're changing and becoming jealous and possessive. I don't know. I never knew you this way. What's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. And instead of trusting myself and saying, what's wrong here? Something's wrong, and I need to know the answer, I would swallow it. I would say, oh, it must be me, because I felt guilty about spending time away on my retreats and things like that. So I became willfully blind to what was going on in my environment so that I could still stay connected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. And when I understood that, then I called it on and instantly found out about it. Mm-hmm. So that was the intuitive uh hit you were getting but due to the willful blindness you refused right. to see yeah which is i have so i see it i see it a lot i see it sure I, yeah. people will say to me i had no idea that yeah. this was happening and i just look at them and i say really? <laughs> yeah, you I had do. no idea yeah. maybe six months ago when this happened do you remember that oh yeah yeah but i really didn't think that was it yeah do you know mm-hmm. so i see this this is not a bad thing this is part of programming. It is uh, women especially, learning to allow, learning to give, uh, needing their husbands to be honored by everyone. And so they can feel good about who they are. Mm-hmm. This is all a programming mm-hmm. because you could feel good about who you are walking away from something that's not healthy. Mm-hmm. More so, of course. More so, more so. Yes. can be hard initially. Yeah. can be difficult if you never really learned how to take care of yourself, but then you will. And when you do, the sense of sovereignty and resourcefulness and self-esteem is beautiful because you're no longer dependent on someone who would hurt you. Right. I love that word, sovereignty. I use it quite frequently, and I'm not talking about sovereign nations. I'm talking right. about individual sovereignty, spiritual sovereignty that really needs to be looked at. Uh, so when you go back to alchemy, alchemy, mm. you ask about that. Alchemy is taking that pain, taking those belief systems that I am unworthy, that this is the best that I can have. I deserve this. I am not good enough. And then you begin the process of awakening. Then you begin to realize, how could I be unworthy if God lives within me? Mm-hmm. If Spirit is animating me and giving me an opportunity to make known the unknown, how could I be unworthy? My behavior can be unworthy, for sure. I can make terrible choices in judgment, absolutely. And I can learn from those and not do that anymore. Or find a much better way to proceed. That is life. And is there such a thing as being unworthy to learn? No. Unworthy. Yeah. Well, these are conversations that we all need to have with ourselves. Some of us have it. Many, again, don't do, again, to the programming. The programming called distraction. Distracting one from oneself. 
make sure that epiphany never comes. And this is what brings us back. And then I'm going to drop it, the archonic force. I think that's what all of this is about. Um, And still... The, let's say we now be we're now aware that there is some force outside of us, if you will. I have a, 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 a maybe a little bit of an off-color philosophy about that, but that's for another time. Um, we being angry at now that we're aware of this force, being angry at that is not necessarily going to, uh, unless we can alchemize the anger, of course, not going to help. <laughs> the, the 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 program of distraction, I think, is part of that. Uh, that whole program can uh, i so can i offer something in here i don't want to interrupt you but no please i know we're running out of time and i want to say this it's so important these beings the archons the reptilians these aliens they live in the light mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we have the ability to go beyond that mm-hmm. we have the ability to move dimensionally beyond their power it takes a lot to know that we are more than what we see in front of us. Mm-hmm. Sure does. That we can trust the invisible. That we actually have the ability to connect beyond their ability to create our reality. So I just, I wanted that importance because it's not like I'm going to stand in front of one of these archons or um, Jehovah or a god and say, oh, you are nothing. It is that I must be able to raise my frequency. That's right. To a place where they do not have dominion. Mm-hmm. Beautifully that's said. That's what I want to say. Well, that's an important thing to say, and that was touched upon, I think, in the uh, the talk with Simon Parks in terms of the dimensions. Third, we have yes. several names: third dimension, fourth dimension. Some people call it. Um, uh, not dimension, but density, third right. and fourth density and beyond. Right. And the question right. becomes, you know, in our sort of uh, um, not awakening, but uh, transcendence or, you know, raising consciousness, will it be necessary? Some feel that we'll jump to even fifth density or fifth uh, dimensional reality, where I think Simon felt more that we must still move through the fourth dimension, yes. which is still very dense and, and uh, heavy. Yes. But yes. anyway, yeah, that's that. Oh, we are running out of time. There are so many things I wanted to get to, but let's let's stay on this dimensional <clears throat> reality for a little while and talk about timelines for a little while. Let's talk about multiple timelines and dimensional shifts. I'm going to put a few things out there and let's see what you feel moved to to respond to. So that's one little chunk. The other question I have, Linda, in that regard is... You and I both feel that reality is incredibly malleable, mutable. I have always sensed that. It's not something I read. It's something I have felt implicitly. Um, And so the idea that if reality is mutable, that uh, time is not exactly or even at all what we think it is, including past, present, and future, that means sort of a syllogism here that all of these things that we consider to be linear are mutable. How about the past? You know, it has been postulated that in some cases, uh, through certain modalities, I know Lynn McTaggart and her intention experiments have looked at the idea of literally shifting the timeline of the past. I don't know that I have... um, you know, when you look at that, that's really mind bending. There's no question about that. When we're talking about time, in any case, it's a very mind bending uh, matter. But I have always felt, tell me what you think about this, that in terms of, let's say we had the ability to alter the past, 
we tend to think of past in terms of a sequence of events, but let's look at it as an energy signature rather than events that we see in 3D. I feel that we may have the ability to reconfigure the energy of what we call the past. What is? What are your thoughts on that? It could be like a four-hour talk. But, I know, just a little uh, thing. I mean, to give you a give you a crib note version. You gotta give me first a crib of note. all. I believe that the past is mutable, mm-hmm. and what holds it in place is the way we hold it. And when you change your mind about a story, uh, I'm going to quickly mm. tell you about one to just give you an idea of how it works in real time. Uh, my mother and I had a challenging relationship, and I was the firstborn of three, and my desired and need to know everything was not her style. She was social and, and pretty and liked things nice and didn't to probe too deeply into things outside of that world. Mm. So it was a a challenge. And she was uh, sick for many years with cancer. And I always drove myself to accomplish. And the idea that if I accomplished enough, she would see me. She would really connect to me. And although she was proud of my accomplishments, that heart-to-heart never happened. Mm. And she died. And... Uh, in the Jewish faith, you're buried within 24 hours. Okay. And so it was the morning after her death, and I was in meditation. And she came to me. Now, when she died, she weighed 86 pounds, was bald, and mm. one breast, hysterectomy, colostomy, you know, mm. nothing of her body left. And she came to me completely restored, beautiful, in her 40s, radiant. And she handed me a red rose, and she said to me, I lived a life of darkness so you could come into the light and you surpassed my expectations. I've always loved you. And 41 years of my life changed. 41 years. I had all the stories of where she had been impossibly difficult and cruel to me or whatever, you know, never physically abusive, but, you know, like cruel in in ways. I saved those stories. Those were my reality. That's what I came out of. That's... The whole thing shifted. So I saw a love that was willing to play a role in my life. And it had been a fire. You talk about alchemy. That was a friction. That fire drove me to accomplish, to to do things that other people thought I couldn't do. So is that past the one I originally had true? Mm, Is this new past true? Yes. What's true? What is really true is this moment now, how I hold reality. There is a past that will fit that. And there is a future that is aligned with that. And that future and that past are continually malleable as I am holding this new moment. Girlfriend, (laughs) you want to talk about the crib now? You did that so well. That's I'm going to listen to this again and again, because you have explained this so clearly with such a powerful account. It's not that we're changing the events of the past. We are changing our perspective in the present about the past. And in so doing, you have changed the energy signature of the past. That is correct. Powerful. That is correct. And we all have the ability to do that. Yes. Just with a choice. Yes. So simple, I think. Yes. 
part of the program has all has also been to to peddle complexity uh, to to get through big things. I think the biggest things are the simplest to change when we apply choice. Hmm. Okay. Brilliant. Thank you for that. Wow. Okay. I think we still have a few more minutes. I'm going to stuff in a few more things here on that same note. But that's a powerful one. I think that's the highlight for, for my talk with you today. Wow. <laughs> mm, it is. Truly is. Um, I'm well, hesitant on going on there. <laughs> <laughs> you can't go wrong, my dear. Let's keep it. We're on a roll. Let's keep it going. Let's talk about the dimensional veil. This is something else that came up in your talk with Simon. Now you can see why at, I've seen this... Um, heart to heart talk probably about three or four times at this point. And I just knew that you just hit on so many things that we share uh, such a similar philosophy on. And that is the thinning. One of them is the thinning veil. I talk about that in my book as well, that people seem, lay people particularly, seem to be experiencing phenomena, what yes. we call, loosely call, I like to use the word extraordinary versus paranormal because I think paranormal is actually a misnomer as we understand it. Uh, mm-hmm. But nonetheless, more phenomena, phenomena are happening to people, things that, you know, uh, we don't normally see. And so I've had many discussions with colleagues in the field about the idea that at this time, for whatever reason, the frequency is lifting and the veil is thinning. Give me some of your perspectives on that. Crib notes, please. <laughs> I'm kidding. Well, it's actually thinning in several different ways. It's thinning with being aware of really dark energies that you've held on to. Mm-hmm. And um, that is a serious issue um, because all of a sudden you're kind of aware of this part of you that has struggled. And um, what's important is to know that the beauty of hope, the beauty of new possibilities, the beauty of finding a way to connect to a new moment, that's essential. That is what you have to focus on. You have to wake up. You don't have to, but I really seriously suggest it. Wake up and claim joy. Wake up and claim that this day you're going to know what you haven't known. This day, you're going to allow something magically new to happen. Mm -hmm. When I first started creating my day, I would put in, at some point in this day, I'm going to laugh. I'm going to laugh so hard, I'm going to hold my belly, and tears are going to come out of my eyes. (laughs) And I would forget about it, because I had really big things I was creating. But somewhere along the way of the day, 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, maybe in the evening, somebody would say something, and I would laugh and find myself holding my belly and saying, created that and it was an inspiration so all things are happening quicker now Uh there everyone says there's no time everything's happening so fast and we become aware of our thoughts we become aware i'm on automatic um i'm i'm assuming that the reason my husband is not talking to me is because he's angry well, maybe he's not talking to you because his boss was talking about maybe he needed to be fired. The idea that you aren't leaping to the conclusion, I call it premature conclusions. We have to slow it down. We have to become more present and say, where is my mind? Where are my feelings? Where am I? That is what's important. 
Mm-hmm. That is what's serious for us to know that we have choice as to what we're going to engage mm-hmm. and what we're not. I think there's an urgency. I, I use the term a lot, uh, an urgency of now for every single thing, Linda, that we have discussed. You know, we've heard these some semblance of these ideas before. And you wonder if uh, in the mainstream it's going in one ear and out the other. And maybe there was a little bit of cushion to let it go in one ear and out the other yes. a few years ago, but yes. not anymore. Yes, 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 yes. This is a contingency. People are talking about, I want to change. I want to become enlightened in the, the great awakening and ascension, all these buzzwords that are used. But there is a caveat. We have to take action now. And personal responsibility. Personal responsibility. There is no action you will take that does not have consequences. Mm -hmm. Some of them you may not know. Mm -hmm. But if you are taking it from a sincere place and the intention is to make better, the intention is to honor, the intention is to uh, be in alignment with what you say is so, then... Whatever happens, you're going to learn, you'll make a correction. You know, the word sin was an archer's term, and it meant off the mark. Hmm. It did not mean burn in hell. It did not mean you will be judged for It was off the mark. Go, go take another shot. That's what it is. It's a self-correction. It's a, a way for you to say, I didn't quite do that. I know sometimes when I want to tell the truth of what I'm feeling to a really close friend, I may I may start out with... Well, I really wanted to talk to you about this. I know it may be difficult, you know. And I go, well, look at all the excuses you're making just to tell your truth. Yeah, yeah. It's because we have to learn how. We have to learn how to say, but what I really, what I really feel is this. Or no. To know that no is a complete sentence, no. Hmm. And to know that your no means no. That that's big because we go, I am powerful, aren't I? And so when we're doing it that way, we're always vulnerable. It's mm-hmm. time for us to take that step and say, what I do, I could allow to have written across the sky. Mm-hmm. Well, I have one sent complete sentence for you, Linda McCallum, and that's yes. <laughs> exclamation point yes ah, so sweet Beautiful. thank you well listen we've run out of time but before we disconnect i want to make sure that we get your website yes it's linda mccallum m-c-c-a-l-l-u-m alchemy.com and what can they find there i know you get a lot of good content and some great stories and some great quotes and they can also connect with you if they want Yes, to. they can connect for me for sessions because okay. I do individual sessions I as would... well. And the information is on the website. Okay. Well, I would so suggest you go there. We'll make sure to have that linked as well. And Thanks. I'm going to be quoting you for, I think, years to come. Oh, you're so sweet. <laughs> <laughs> Linda, my let's, dear. Let's hope you've got a lot more fabulous things because your mind is wide open and your book <laughs> consciousness musing is beautiful oh, well, thank and you. easy to read and it manages to bridge a lot of things i really think that's what we're doing and that's kind of what we experience when we met each other that's right is yeah. building the bridges these yeah. are the bridges that bring this wonderful understanding of a deeper order of connectedness we're so much more than we know 
Oh my gosh, so much more than the story, so much more than the genealogy, so much more than our ancestry, so much more than whatever happened in our past, so much more. And now's the time to remember. Yes, exclamation point. I'm sticking with that. (laughs) God bless you, Linda McCallum. We thank you so much. Take care. There's always a crack in the door that says, I'm not damaged. It's all in how we process experience and how we alchemize it. Linda feels, as do I, that we are all alchemists at our core. But in order to go about the business of turning base metals into gold, as it were, it takes a deep look, a profound reflection, and a willingness to take action of what we've witnessed once the door has been opened. To learn more about Linda McCallum and her incredible work aptly called A Personal Alchemy, Turning Limited Thoughts into Enlightened Possibilities, please visit the link to her website, which we've provided below. I also encourage everyone to watch her amazing talk with Simon Parks, a candid and insightful discussion about what we are facing in our near-term future. As always, I thank you for tuning in to Higher Journeys Radio. Until next time, I'm your host. Alexis Brooks.